I believe that one of the reasons that God hits pause in our stories is because he desperately wants us to grow. And we know from different passages of Scripture, James 1 would be a good place to look, is that we're supposed to, like, say, yay, when problems come, when challenges arise, because God says, that's the way that I'm actually going to mature you, to perfect us, to, to work out all of the immaturity, the, the places of weakness in our life. If everything was just sunshine and roses, right, and cotton candy, <laughs> we wouldn't grow. But we're using this idea of a pause, those times when they're challenging, and it seems like God is stopped, like hit pause, on all of his good work in our lives. We listen and we're not hearing his voice, maybe the way that we have in other seasons of our life. Things have grown strangely quiet and strangely difficult. Have you ever experienced a pause time in your life, in your story? If you've walked with Jesus for any length of time, I would say that you have. I certainly have. During these pauses, I think that we either lose ground on our journey of discipleship, becoming more and more like Jesus. We either lose ground because we, we, we give in, we give up, we say this is too hard, and so we lose ground, or the opposite happens. And we actually gain much more ground on this journey of faith because we lean into it and we say, God, I don't know what you're doing right now, but I am going to trust your work in my life. Even though I cannot see what you're doing at this moment and I cannot hear specifically what it is that you want me to know right now, but God, you have spoken things to me in my past. And you have shown me things in your word that I am going to stand on even when the storms come. And God, I'm in the middle of a storm, but I am going to trust that you are here with me even though I can't see you. And I'm going to lean into your presence and trust you. And I believe that when we do that, we actually gain ground even though it may not feel like it at the moment until we look back with hindsight and say, oh, now I see what God was doing. Last week, Dennis Easter shared, and man, it was a powerful message. You can go back and get it on the podcast, but I loved one of the things that Dennis said. He said that God's pauses in our lives are not a barrier to God doing a deep work in us. He said those pauses of God's activity in our life are actually how he gets us to those deep works in our life. They're not a barrier. They're actually the way in which God works through those challenging, challenging times. Now, when we began this series, I mentioned a, a series of things that I believe that God is at work in our lives doing and that we're going to discover during these times of pause. And one of the things that I said that we're going to go, we're going to do a deeper dive in today is that I said 
that we discover during these pause times that we have an enemy and he is not silent. You remember that? We have an enemy and he is not silent. And you're like, really? An enemy? Like the devil? Yes, exactly. That is what I'm talking about because that's what God's word tells us over and over again that there is an enemy of our soul who is bent on our destruction. That on earth that we would be tormented by him and that eternally we would be destroyed along with him. We cannot believe in the God of the Bible if we don't also believe that there is that enemy of our soul that is bent on our destructions. How can we be certain about this? Because God's word tells us the very scripture we turn to, to read about Father God and his son Jesus and the Holy Spirit is the same scripture that tells us that we have an enemy. In scripture, we read different names that are attributed to the evil one the devil, Satan, the Lord of the flies, the accuser of the brethren. I intentionally, in my ministry, don't talk too much about the devil. I don't think he needs that much attention. I would rather talk about Jesus. The one who loves me, who has saved me, who has called me according to his purpose and filled me with his Holy Spirit, I would way rather talk about Jesus. And I would also way rather talk about you and me, the family of God. I would rather talk about those who have experienced that redemption by Jesus and that calling and finding our purpose and finding our mission in the world that he's calling us to, I would way rather talk about Jesus and about his people. But the Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church in Corinth, reminded them of this, that we need to be aware of the enemy's schemes because he is always seeking to outwit us. He's always trying to find an advantage, some way to kind of deceive us, to trick us, to cause us to stumble, to lose our way. And one of the names that I didn't mention that Scripture calls or refers to as the devil, in fact, this was Jesus that referred to the devil as the father of lies. The father of lies. I believe that the enemy's lies are one of the primary ways that he schemes against us, especially during these times when God has hit pause. And we're not hearing the voice of the Lord as clearly during that time. All of a sudden, it's the enemy's voice that grows louder. And what is he filling our ears with? What is he trying to press into us? His lies. 
Today we're going to be looking at a story that's found in Isaiah chapter 36 that illustrates five different lies that the devil uses to bring discouragement to us when God has hit pause in our story. Five lies that are meant to discourage us and cause us to lose our confidence. Trying to get us to to give up and throw in the towel when God has hit pause. This story in Isaiah 36 is about a king named Hezekiah. Hezekiah became the king of Judah when he was 25 years old and he reigned for 29 years. Now, maybe if you don't know your uh, history of the people of God through the Old Testament, you go, wow, he was, he was the king of Judah. I thought the people of Israel were uh, God's people. Well, yes, they are, but there was a divided kingdom where Israel and Judah split company. And what we're going to see is that uh, Jerusalem was not in Israel, it was in the land of Judah. And Hezekiah was the king of Judah residing in Jerusalem. And Hezekiah was an amazing king and follower of the Lord. In fact, let's read this first scripture. It's from 2 Kings 18, verses 5 and 6. And it says this, says, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. I mean, that's quite the compliment. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands of the Lord that God had given to Moses. So here is this leader dedicated to God, following after him, never returned to the left or to the right, like unceasingly. Man, I'm just following hard after God. And guess what we discover? That even when we're the right person doing all of the right things, following after God, yeah, we still experience pauses. We still experience these times where it's like, God, what on earth are you doing? This does not make sense. What is going on? Because halfway through King Hezekiah's reign, God hit the pause button in a huge way. Because his country and his city was laid siege to and was under attack. And that's where we pick up the story in Isaiah chapter 36. In fact, if you ever read the book of Isaiah, he was a prophet that God had raised up. What you'll find is that leading up to, uh, all the way from the beginning of Isaiah right up to chapter 36... There all this prophecy, and what he's prophesying is about is about this historical event that now he's unpacking for us and telling us actually what happened. And it says in the first verses of Isaiah 36, it says, In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Now, 
historically, and you can read in other portions of, of Scripture, what you'll find is that not only had this king of Assyria, the bad guys, not only had they come and they'd conquered cities in Judah, they'd already gone through Syria and Israel and done the same thing. So they were like laying waste to the whole region. And now they're showing up at the capital city of Judah where Hezekiah is the king. They've come to Jerusalem. Then the king of Assyria sent his field commander with a large army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Now, what we're going to see here is that there is going to be a meeting between Team Judah with Team Assyria. Assyrians are the bad guys. We need to remember that. Very important. Because that's where we're going to hear how the enemy speaks to try to steal our confidence and bring discouragement. And so we keep reading, and it says, when the commander stopped at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road to Washerman's Field, Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went out to him. So you've got these two little teams that are meeting. Team Assyria meeting with Team Judah. Team Judah representing King Hezekiah. You following me? Okay. Then we go on in verse 4, and it says this. It says, the field commander, the bad guy, the field commander said to them, tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Assyria says. On what are you basing this confidence of yours? And he, right at the beginning, right the first thing that comes out of his mouth, this is the point. The enemy will always work to destroy our confidence. Always try to strip away, and especially during these pause times that are already challenging and we're like, where is the Lord? What's he up to? I don't know. This is confusing. It's challenging. But the enemy will always try to destroy our confidence, and our hope. How does he do that? What we're going to see is that he attacks the very promises that God has made. And I want to show you, before we go on, the confidence that Hezekiah and the people of Judah had. Because if we were to flip back in the book of Isaiah, like I said, these preceding chapters, God was speaking to them prophetically about what they were going to be experiencing now. It was about the Assyrians attacking and what God was going to do to the Assyrians. If you go back to Isaiah chapter 10, I think we have it up there on the screen. Isaiah chapter 10, this is what God had said. Oh, my people who live in Zion, do not be afraid. Of the who? The Assyrians, who beat you with a rod and lift up a club against you as Egypt did. Very soon my anger against you will end, and my wrath will be directed to their destruction. 
the Lord Almighty will lash them, the Assyrians, with a whip. So God had already spoken. God had already given his people this clear, prophetic word. Listen, when God speaks a promise to us, it's for us to stand on. It is on his word that we take our hope and our confidence. Our confidence is not in our flesh. It's not in our strength. It's not in our creativity and wisdom. It's not in how good we can do something. You know, Hezekiah's like, well, let's try to muster up the troops. You know, let's get our little army together. You know, maybe we're going to be able to fight. Listen, there might have been wisdom in doing some of those things, but that's not where his confidence needed to lie. His confidence needed to lie in what has God spoken? What has God said? And so as Team Assyria comes and, and speaks negatively to King Hezekiah and bring, tries to bring discouragement, he's attacking the confidence that they had rightfully because of what God had already spoken. Now here comes the five lies. Are you ready? Here is my desire that in as we as we hear these five lies that the enemy spoke to God's people that we would recognize maybe the echo in our own stories of where the enemy has lied to us. Why? To steal our confidence, to take away our courage, to steal the hope that we have based on what God has already said. The number one lie that that we're going to see just in this next verse is that the enemy will lie about the facts. The enemy always twists and perverts what is real. And we see that in verse 7. Because here's team Assyria speaking. And if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed? Saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar. If you go back and read the story of Hezekiah, here is the facts. Hezekiah restored worship to the one true God. He destroyed and called for the destruction of all the idol worship that had been going on. That is the fact. You know what the enemy comes and does? It starts to cause confusion. Starts to cause, well, oh, wait, what? What? I'm not sure. Trying to second guess what is actually the facts. He always twists and perverts this. It's exactly what the enemy did with Eve when we read the story of his conversation all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Distorted the facts. Did did God really say that you're not to eat from any tree in the garden? See, it's a distortion of the fact. God had spoken to Adam and Eve saying, there's one tree, 
one that you are not to eat from. Now, that's the one they ended up eating from. (laughs) Thus our condition. (laughs) But he always distorts the facts. He lies about reality. And it's exactly what we see happening here with Team Assyria coming against Team Judah as God's people were being attacked. The twisting of the facts. I believe this happens to us very often when we hear things like, you call yourself a Christian? But look what you did over here. Right? Because we all have stuff in our life that we're not proud of, things that we've done that we should not have done, places of brokenness, places where we acted out of anger or out of lust or out of ignorance or whatever, but where we strayed, where we messed up. Bible calls it sin. And it says we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glory. But the enemy comes and lies about, lies about it. Oh, oh, you call yourself a good husband. But look what you did over here. And all of a sudden, like, oh, man, he's right. Man, I, I really am a mess. I'm a bad person. How could I have done that? How, how could I, man, how could I walk with my head raised up? Right? That's what the enemy does. He'll take something that you've done and he'll twist the reality of what God says about you, about who God says you are, that our righteousness is not based on my good works, but on his good works. He's already done what is needed. And because of that, I'm able to lift my head up and say, God, I have sinned, but you took that sin on the cross. You, you took it. And as far as who I am as a husband, yeah, I'm a human and I have made lots of mistakes in my pride, in, in things that, that God needed to crush in me and rinse out of my story. But you know what? I can walk with my head up high saying, I'm not who I used to be. Even though I'm not yet who I am to become. I am on a journey, and the enemy can try to lie to me and twist the facts, but I know who God says that I am. So he lies about facts. The second thing that he lies about is about our future. He'll lie to us about our future to try to instill fear. Now, this is an interesting next little passage here, and it gets a little gross, but it's in the Bible, so we're going to read it. Verses 11 and 12. Then Team Hezekiah said to the field commander, hey, please speak to your servants in Aramaic. That was the language that would have been more native to the gentleman from Assyria, since we understand it. In other words, we speak your language. Go ahead and use your language. 
don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. So what you get the picture of is here, they're, they're outside the gates of the city having this, this meetup. But what you, what you see is like, you know, all, all these soldiers and people from the community that are up on the, the wall of Jerusalem. And I've walked that wall. I've been on that wall. I, I can kind of feel right now what it might have even been like huddled up over there. And they're like listening into the conversation, <laughs> right? Hey, Don't speak to us in the language that everybody can understand that's up on the wall. We'll speak to you in your tongue. But, it goes on, the commander, team Assyria replied, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the men sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own filth and drink their own urine. What? I mean, this is like terrible. This is gross. But listen, this is what the enemy does. The enemy will lie to you about your future. And just like this, you know what he's going to do? He is going to lie to you about the worst, absolute worst possible outcome that could ever be. And that's the, what, that's the message that he wants to play over and over in your mind. Over and over. He's going to lie to you about your future in order to instill fear. Instead of going back and say, whoa, 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 whoa. We were told by God, do not fear I've got this. The Assyrians are coming, but I'm going to defeat them, says the Lord. But now here comes the enemy lying to them about their future, speaking over them something so terrible and disgusting, like the worst possible outcome. And I think the enemy does that to us as well. What do you have to say to your friends and family about Jesus. You know, if you open your mouth and begin to share with others about Jesus, you are going to absolutely be ridiculed. You're going to become the laughingstock of your school. No one is going to want to eat lunch with you ever again because you're one of those Jesus people, right? And all of a sudden, this fear will settle over our heart begin to consume us. The lie that says, if you were to give generously, you are never going to have enough. You're going to go broke. I mean, you're not going to have enough to retire on. You're going to just like, you're going to be penniless. You're going to be homeless. You can't give, you can't give generously. Takes us to the absolute worst possible outcome, and that becomes the enemy's narrative because he wants to lie to you about your future. If you discipline your children, they will grow to hate you. Don't you want your kids to love you? Don't you want them to crawl up into your lap and and tell you how wonderful you are? They will, man, don't discipline them. Just pat them on the head and say it's going to be okay when they've lied to you. 
when they shoplifted at the store, which is no longer a crime anyway, right? So if you step out into ministry, you're going to be a total failure. How many people have lost their confidence because they've believed the lie of the enemy about their future rather than stepping with confidence into what God has already said? I believe there's people in the room who have a calling on your life to step into a particular area of ministry, of fruitfulness. But man, even though that's been there and you've wrestled with it, the lie of the enemy about your future has been greater than the calling of God on your life. And you've listened to the voice of fear rather than to the voice of the Lord. And you've just lost your step. You've lost your confidence to move forward. And I believe that if you will identify the lie of the enemy and say, whoa, 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 why, why have I been believing that rather than believing what God has said? I believe that he will restore your hope and reaffirm your calling. And I don't care how old you are. You may have a little gray hair like me. And God will reaffirm that calling in your life. Third lie that we identify here is lies about the leaders that God puts in our lives around us. He'll lie to us about the very people that God has assembled around us to encourage us, to challenge us, sometimes bring discipline or correction. But all of those people, I don't know who you would say the leaders are in your life. Maybe, man, if you're still living at home, it's, it's your parent, right? Our parents are leaders in our lives. If you're part of this church family, God has given a leadership structure. Man, we have pastors and a church council and an eldership. People around us, even whether they have a title or not, people that God has assembled around us as leadership voices to help us move forward and to succeed. And the enemy wants to lie about them. Listen to what Team Assyria goes on and speaks. It's Verse 13 and 15, that same conversation. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew. All those guys up there, right? Hanging over the wall, trying to eavesdrop. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, the Lord will surely deliver us. The city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Here's what I believe. That the enemy doesn't have to attack those leaders personally. Just cause you to question the legitimacy of their leadership. Just cause you to have wonderments. Man, that Pastor Sergio that was up here, man, he was sharing some scripture, like, you know, and then we were supposed to, like, give of our financial gifts and offerings. Yeah, I don't know about that guy. <laughs> what are his real motives? You know what? I think he gets a paycheck from this church. <laughs> so what are, his, what are his true motives? 
of getting up there week after week, quoting scripture, praying over us, and encouraging us to be generous and give. Hmm. The enemy doesn't have to attack Sergio personally, just has to get us to doubt that leadership voice, that this is what God is saying to us, that God says not only to be fruitful, but to multiply, to give away what, what he has sown into us. We're to sow it into the lives of others and sow it into the ministry of the kingdom. But man, but if, if the enemy can get us to doubt that voice in our life, man, if you're living at home right now, if you're middle schooler, high schooler, I'm talking to you, Man, what the enemy wants to do to destroy families by lying to kids about the motivation of the parents. Well, they don't love me. They just want my life to be miserable like theirs was. <laughs> you know, whatever. And so what we do is we will begin to justify our disobedience. We'll begin to justify our bad attitudes. We will not follow with confidence the instruction that they are giving us. See, God has given us. But now listen, I, listen, come on. Every leader, including parents, including yours truly, is a broken, flawed, sinful individual. We're not always going to get it right. But what the enemy wants to do is use the brokenness in whoever it is that's a leader. And that that becomes, again, that becomes the enemy's narrative of that somebody that is not to be followed. You can never again trust that person. You can never again listen to that voice. I even think this happens in marriages. You know, as husbands and wives are meant to give, I would say, co-leadership that there is this mutual submission that is going on within a husband and wife relationship that is beautiful and precious. In other words, we help to lead one another. And man, when, when all of a sudden the enemy starts lying to us about that co-leader that he's put by our side, and all of a sudden, ah, I'm, not, I'm, just gonna, I'm not gonna listen as closely to what my spouse is saying about what they really believe that we should be moving into or what should we should be doing or not doing. I'm just, uh, I'm going to take that with a grain of salt. I'm not going to, with confidence, say, hey, if that's what you're feeling, let's pray about it. Let's get after that. Let's think about that. Let's, get, let's invite some other godly counsel into our lives and, and really make sure that, man, we're, we're doing this right. Because that's how God has called us to live together in community. Whether it's in the church or in the home or in, in life in general. God has put leaders around us, man. And if he can get us to question their leadership, we're not going to follow confidently and we're never going to accomplish all that God has set out before us. Last two lies. Number four, I think this may be the biggest for all of us, is that he lies to us about the past. Listen to what Team Assyria goes on to spew here. He's going to list some names of cities. And the names of cities that he, they, they don't need to mean anything to you, except they meant something to them, because these were cities that Assyria had already conquered. 
And so he goes on and says, do not let Hezekiah mislead you when he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and of Arpad? Where are the gods of, yeah, whatever, long name, city that I can't pronounce? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? This is what the enemy will do. The enemy always points to the past and tells us that we are condemned to that same future. He always points to the past because there's always things that have fallen short. There's always been, there's always been cities that have been conquered. But what the enemy wants to do is tell us that's your future too. Connects the past, our failure, or the failure of our parents, or that church that I had gone to that was just a mess, and man, I put my trust, I started to get involved, and then it blew up, and it was ugly, and it was painful, and God wants to, or sorry, God wants to rebuke that lie. (laughs) What the enemy wants to do is tell you that you are condemned, that that is your future, Yeah, you know how your parents never got it right? You know how like they never really loved each other? You know how it ended in divorce? You know, there was all that abuse and brokenness that was part of, you know, their story. Yeah, you know what? You're condemned to repeat it. Doesn't matter what you do. You are just a sum total of all of your history to this point. And if you look towards your future, it is the same kind of brokenness and pain. And it is an absolute complete fabrication. Because when God comes into our story, thank God that we're told that we become a new creation. Like there is an opportunity to start anew, to start afresh. And if that isn't enough, man, God's word also tells us that every morning, great is your faithfulness. There is new mercies every day. I get to jump out of bed and say, God, that was the past. What happened yesterday is behind me, and today I can begin anew. And there's somebody here today that needs to hear that because you've been living in your past feeling condemned that that same thing that that happened in your past is going to just get repeated over and over and over in your future. And especially, I believe, the people that have dealt with some significant addiction in your life. You go, is this ever going to change? And the enemy's like, no, it ain't, no, it ain't, no, it ain't. Just wait, yeah, you've been sober for six months. Yeah, but your day's coming. I got you. You're going right back to that same pit. That's your future. So you can't move forward with confidence because the enemy is lying to you about the past just the way that he did here. See how all those cities fell? You're fallen too. See all these other messes? This is going to be your mess. What God, what might God be speaking to you just in this moment about things that you believe that are just lies? Now, have you failed? Yeah, we all have. But that is not going to be your future as you lean confidently into the Lord, into what he has said about your life. 
And as you surround yourself with godly leaders, people who are going to help you, because we need that in our families, in our church families, in our community life together, we need to partner up with brothers and sisters that are gonna help us to move forward in God's grace. But you know what? That completely defies what the enemy is lying to us about. Lie number five is lies about God himself. Verse 20, team Assyria. Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? How? If none of these other things have worked, man, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've tried AA, AAA, AAA, none of it has worked. How would God be able to set me free? And the lie of the enemy is that God's hand is too short to reach you. Now, he may reach that person, other person. Yeah, that other person's got a cool story, but that ain't your story. God is not able to redeem your situation. God is not able to rescue you where you are. God is not sufficient for you. Maybe for her, but not for you. Oh, and it's the lie of the enemy. Lies about God himself, that God is not capable of meeting you right at your point of need. I'm gonna invite the worship team to come up. And we're gonna conclude by finding out how this story ended. Then we're gonna receive communion together. How did this story end? Well, you, you have to flip over to the next chapter. I'm just gonna give you the very abbreviated version of what you're gonna see there. When you turn over to chapter 37, what you're gonna find is that when Hezekiah heard these lies that were being spoken to him, to his leaders, to his countrymen, to all the people hanging over, eavesdropping over the wall, the first thing that he does is he cries out to the Lord, God, God, save us. And then he seeks God's counsel. He actually calls for the very prophet who wrote this. He calls for Isaiah. And as it says, Isaiah, this is what, this is what we're being told. And then as we read down further in the chapter, this is what Isaiah reaffirms to God's people, to Hezekiah and the people of, in Jerusalem. Isaiah 37, verses 33 and 35. This is what Isaiah says. He reminds him, he says, this is what the Lord says about the king of Assyria. This is what the Lord says. These are the words of God. This is what you need to build your confidence on, Hezekiah. You need to be reminded of what God has said. This is what he said about the king of Assyria. His armies will not enter Jerusalem. They will not even shoot an arrow at it. They will not march outside its gates with their shields 
nor build banks of earth against its walls. For my own honor and for the sake of my servant David, I will defend this city and protect it. That is the word of the Lord. And I believe that that is the word of the Lord to some that are here today that need to be reminded of this is what the Lord has said. The greater is he who is within you than he who is in the world. We really do have an enemy. He really is the evil one. He really is the father of lies. He's big, bad, ugly, and says, yeah, you're going to eat your filth and drink your urine. Ugh! Yeah, you're going to face ugly things. That's going to be your future. It's going to be terrible. And we need to be reminded of what it sounds like to hear the lie of the enemy. We need to be reminded. And God, what have you already spoken that I need to stand on and ground myself especially during these times when I feel like I'm under attack. These pause times, it's like, God, where are you? We need to remember, this is what the Lord has spoken. One other verse. It's the next verse. Verse 36 of Isaiah 37. That night, an angel of the Lord, an angel of the Lord, not, not Judah's army, But an angel of the Lord went out into the Assyrian camp and killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers. When the surviving Assyrians woke up the next morning, they found corpses everywhere. What the enemy, what the enemy had planned. Yeah, there really was an evil all out attack. It really was a plan of the enemy. But what God spoke he did. What God says, he performs. The very things that God has promised, there is nothing on heaven or on earth that is going to keep us from what God has spoken. Do not allow the enemy to steal your confidence, your hope, even your joy. Remember what God has spoken. And I invite the ushers to come forward because I I can think of no stronger thing to do than to, by taking of the bread and the cup, by remembering, God, this is what you have done for me. And there is no power, there is no lie, there is no force of the enemy's strength or strategy that can stand against what you have already done. Ushers, if you'd go ahead and begin to please distribute that. As they do, we're going to sing a song, a reprise of what we sang earlier. And if we could just kind of go right to the chorus there. We believe it's already done.
you that need to now put that on your lips. One of the reasons that we sing, that we worship through song, there's lots of ways we can worship. In fact, we can even worship by sitting silently. But there are times that we just need to sing because it is a declaration of the truth. It's a reversal of the enemy's lie. Whatever the enemy's lie has been to you, maybe it's been about your future. Maybe it's about your past and that you're condemned to repeat it. Maybe it's about a leader in your life. Maybe it's about God himself. Well, here we are holding a symbol of what the God of the universe came to earth to do to die on our behalf, to pay a sacrifice that we would never be able to pay because he lived a perfect life. Not us, but he did. If anyone deserved to die, that was you and me. But guess what? This is what he has already done. This is the perfect work of Christ. Let me read from Romans 3, 23 through 25. For everyone has sinned. That's the fact. The enemy may want to distort it or twist it, but it's the fact. Everyone sinned. We all fall, fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, with undeserved kindness, declares that we are righteous. I don't know what the enemy has been lying to you about, about your sin and about your brokenness and saying you're condemned to live in that forever. No, this is our forever truth right here. It is what Christ has already done and accomplished for you and for me. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. The sacrifice has been made. It's what he's already done. What we're called to do is to receive it. To receive it. To believe it. To reject the lies of the enemy to receive what he has done for us before we take and eat and drink. Let's sing this again. All, please all sing as a declaration.
finished. Because those are the words that Jesus said from the cross. It is finished. Whatever you have been going through, struggling through, that sin that seems to not be able to be overcome, guess what? Jesus says, I've overcome it. It's finished. Now, we got work to do to live it out, to walk in our freedom, to lean in with all of our trust in the Lord. But guess what? The work's been done. It is finished. Would you go ahead and take and eat? has held that God does not want you. That what we just celebrated, the work of Jesus on the cross, yeah, maybe good for that person next to you because they lived a better life or whatever, but it, it could not be effective for me. Somehow you believed a lie that you do not believe, belong in God's family. But that is a lie that the enemy would want to perpetuate in your life and in your story. And you can call it out right now and say, I don't believe that lie anymore. I believe that God's work for me is enough. That what he did on the cross was for me. And if there's any here today that say, I want to affirm that I am receiving of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus as a sacrifice for me, that my sin would be dealt with forever and that I could now walk in relationship with God. Just say, yeah, that's me. Just raise your hand and say, you know what, that's me. Yeah, I agree with you guys. Yeah, the number that have raised their hands and said, yeah, that's me, yeah. I agree with you. We are affirming that we are not going to listen to the lie of the enemy any longer. We are affirming that God's salvation is for us. It is for you. It is for me. It's for our neighbor. It's for the one around the world. That the finished work of Christ is effective for us in our stories.